0: How many of you alive this morning? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was sitting there praying. I, I think I'm going to preach. Have uh, you ever seen a movie that you start from the end and work your way back to the beginning? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work from the end to the beginning today. Um, I just want to make note of something. Sometimes my kids, they they get annoyed at me at times and one of the things they get annoyed at me for is like making a speech out of something. Grace is always like, "Dad, I didn't need a speech, you know." But I tr- most of my my little talks they they it's like around observing something. And so like it's like when I notice something, I'm just like, "Hey, you know, here's something you can something you can see." And I want I want to draw your attention to something that happened in the service. And like when Max got up to pray, and he opened talking about this ministry that they know, that, that we're helping uh, kids, I think specifically, just girls get out of trafficking in, in Southeast Asia, and prayed um, just for the area and the COVID outbreak, what I sensed in that moment was, was like, it was, a, was like a, a spirit of intercession came into the room for, for a moment. And not saying left, I'm just saying it was just like like my attention got focused on praying for these people for this moment. And and so a lot of times walking with God is just about having the attention of what he's doing in the moment. Because sure, God's doing everything simultaneously, but he's inviting us to he, he brings our attention to things because He's inviting us to partner with Him in specific ways. As soon as we started praying, I just like had this quickening in my spirit. Like, there's a, there's a moment to pray here. And so when we prayed the Lord's Prayer, I, I wasn't just praying the Lord's Prayer. I was praying the Lord's Prayer with that prayer in mind. And yesterday, we did this wayfinding workshop, which um, you've heard Two other people mentioned, and I won't like belabor the point, but the goal of the time, which I apparently found out later, scared everyone away. Scared? Well, not everyone. We had twenty of us here, or something like that. You know, work, but a number of people like, I don't want to spend hours working on a thesis of who who. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not kind of a marketing guy. That's just. Uh, we're just like, here's what it is. <laughs> Come if you want, <laughs> and but. What was um, what the Lord reminded me of, and not this is like a moment of repentance or confession, was literally I'll open the end of my notes because I'm starting from the end from the beginning. Um, the Lord reminded me when years ago, when we were first pastoring, I always had a life where I read the Bible and prayed, but I didn't have a life where I journaled things. And so, probably in the first two or three years of pastoring, I started journaling. And I, I journaled actually through the whole Bible, I, I think maybe year, year two or three, I can't remember. And, and those journals are actually, my car was stolen years later. Um, and those journals were taken, and I found one of them on the side of the road somewhere in our, neighbor, in our neighborhood. So I keep that journal in my a special journal to me. And, but what the Lord spoke to me when I, was, when I was writing a lot in those days was that when you write what I say to you, you're stewarding my words. When you write what I say to you, you're stewarding your words, my words. And I was reminded of that this yesterday. And I'm not saying, hear me wrong. I'm not saying the only way to steward God's voice is writing. That's not, not what I'm saying. But, I, but I'm reminded that we are called to be people whose attention is keenly aware of what God is doing and what He's speaking, what He's saying, where He wants us to partner. So that when somebody stands up to pray and you can you sense that God is in what they're praying, your attention gets caught. And this that's what a life looks like of of stewarding His voice and His words. We, we cannot be people who just steward what God has told us to do somewhere in the past or somewhere in the Bible. We have to be people who are stewarding His voice. And so I I, uh, I was just reflecting upon how God really wanted me to refresh and remind me, invite me to just this moment of repentance with him, of like, hey, like, I want to steward your voice, your words better. Um, I think those that cherish his words will give, it's like when you cherish and you value, when you treasure the words of God, You give soil for new things to come out of you. It's like, it's not just the words themselves. It's it's the act of treasuring the words. Like, there were different people. Jesus tells this parable about different soils. You have different people who heard the words of Jesus, and some who cherished them, and some who didn't. I think one of my favorite things about his mother, that it says about his mother, is that everybody was, was speaking these promises, and it says that she treasured these things in her heart. Now, the, 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 the impact of the word, the, the seed is perfect, but the soil would dictate whether the seed would grow up and bear fruit. So to the degree that people treasured the words that Jesus had to say and to the degree that we treasure the words the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today will be the degree at which that seed will bear fruit. The seed's perfect, makes no difference. But God looks for us to to, to treasure his voice. Um I I've had in recent weeks he's not they're not here this morning they're in, they're in Philadelphia but ben, benedict has been interning with me i think i've mentioned this and he uh, he is interning with me cuz he wanted an internship that's business and ministry so he's kind of with me on both things i've never had a person who's just with me all the time you know it's the weirdest thing like and i happen to have a knee surgery in the middle of this and so now he just drives me around everywhere and so, I mean, like, to the point of he's on every call that I have, you know, he's on all the meetings that I do, and like, when I go to the doctor, Benedict's with me. <laughs> so they're like, I probably, when the doctor's wondering, like, why is this, you know, 23-year-old German guy sitting out here? Yeah, he's just like, he's sitting in the, you know. And so, schedule sometimes is kind of weird for me, and Blending both the things, and so it, we've we've now like sort of like are ranking the weirdest places that we've worked at because my life's a little more fluid. We one day we were taking care of this uh, car for my friend my friend in New Zealand. They moved back to New Zealand in COVID, and I pretty much just took, I've taken care of all their stuff, and we had to sell a car for them. And so I'm presenting this, like, foreign power of attorney at CarMax, and they're having to go through all this litigation process to determine, can we indeed buy this car? And so we're sitting here in the CarMax little lobby area, doing conference calls you know, uh, Zoom calls and working on spreadsheets, and he was like, "I wonder if anybody else has ever worked in this carmax before." Like, I don't know. And then, and then one 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 day after a after a, a doctor's appointment, we weren't we didn't have enough time to get some, so we were looking for a Starbucks. Well, turned out the Starbucks that we were we were trying to get to meet a call was actually inside a grocery store, and so the background of my call there was like some. Pineapples being sold behind me, and so just this is a funny thing. But in the context of this, I've been sharing okay, old things like old, like old sermons and old things that like have affected me from from years ago. And so what God has been using it to do is like we're just driving, like oh, let's listen to three sermons while we're driving. And so what God's been using it to do is to remind me personally of. Deep foundational truths that He's put in my life, and and taking me back to sort of things that that have um, that have formed the root of the tree. So, you know, like the the branches are new, and we so oftentimes we celebrate the branches because that's where the new life is. But but there's still life at the root of the tree. So. I was well I was thinking about this this verse that is in Hebrews that always really impacted me. And you're going to have to forgive me for a moment. I'm going to read you this verse in two different translations and I'm going to talk for just a moment like about the approach to different translations because I think it's important. So just humor me for this boring commentary. Um, For a moment, and I'm but I'm going to read to you like from the NIV. Then I'm going to read to you from the ESV. So if you understand the way the NIV, the NIV was written so that people could read the Bible easier, the NIV is used. They use what's called a dynamic equivalence translation approach. Like, oh my gosh, you know what? What in the world does that mean? But what it means is like without getting into too much technicality is that they use a less literal word-for-word approach to the translation, and there's, there's sort of some fluidity in, in how they translate. And so there's, there's more interpretation in the way that the NIV is written, in terms of the writer, than there are in, in, other, in some translations, not, not all translations. And so 99% of the time, it doesn't matter matter a hill of beans. But there are some times when it matters a lot. And I'm going to give you an example. And I think that this example will actually help us contextualize what what I'm wanting us to see. So I'm going to read to you one of my favorite verses of the Bible in the NIV. And then I'm going to read to read it to you in a translation that is more getting at the literal like approach. So literal text, just for so we're all clear. The ones that are most literal that you know are NKJV, uh, ESV, NASB. I don't, you know, English Standard Version, New American Standard Version, New King James. There's some others, but these are more word for word type translations than like thought for thought. And so I'm going to read you this. This is Hebrews six nine through twelve. I've read I've read this probably preached on it for ten years, but it's maybe been a bit. Um, can we pull up Hebrews six nine through twelve in the NIV? Because I think I have it in here in both translations. All right, is this this NIV? Okay, watch this and just process this with me. Get just just read this and then we'll talk about it. It says even though we speak like this dear friends we are convinced of better things in your case so this is um, the writer of hebrews which we don't know for sure is you know giving some commentary above this about life and gener- and so he's going to say here's what we're convinced of for this thought here's what we're convinced of for you we are convinced of better things in your case the things that have to do with salvation god is not unjust he will not forget your work and love you have shown him as you have continued to help his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, so that what I want you to see this, this part so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Raise your hand if you have any recollection of me sharing this verse. Any recollection? Okay. It's been that's what I'm saying. It's been a few years. Um, so this is this is like a really important verse for me. It's imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So I want to read you this in the ESV, and then um, you know what? Let me give let me give just just some thoughts on here. So in the NIV, you have this emphasis here that of what you hope for may be fully realized. This is what he's praying. The writer is, is saying what you hope for may be fully realized. Or that's what the way the NIV is explaining it. And and those um, so the emphasis is on something in your life happening. Whatever it is that you hope for, if you hope for, if you're praying for with God, the emphasis is on we're, you know, we hope that that, that hope will be realized. And then it says about those who you are to imitate as those who have received what has already been promised. So I want you to see this. This verse, the way this is translated, is focused on what will happen in somebody's life. It's focused on the results in somebody's life. That what you hope for will be fully received and that you would imitate those who receive that which has already been promised. So there's a a fixation here on what will actually happen. I know we're getting boring for a moment, but just, but just go with me. Um, it, so let me read to you the ESV. I'll just this will be a helpful way to do it. Go back here. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown in His name and the serving of saints as you still do. And we desire that each one of you show the same earnestness to have. the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, the difference between the way these two verses is translated is is that the hope is not about it being realized in your life, But the focus is that hope itself is the thing that sustains you. It's not actually that we're praying that your hope will be realized. We're praying for whatever that prayer is, that it's going to be actualized. It's that you will have hope to the very end. It's that actually hope itself is the deepest thing. Not the result of hope. I want to go to the next point. And then it and then it says second and this is key it says it's not those it's not focused on those who fulfill or live out the promises it's focused on those it says to imitate those who inherit the promises not the ones who fulfill them or manifest them or live them out but the ones who inherit them now the reason i'm convinced that this is you know, this is actually the focus of the text, is the very next verse, it uses Abraham as the example. Now what is Abraham known for? Somebody just yell it out. Faith. He is the man who inherits the promise of God that he will be a father of nations. Now what happens in Abraham's life is that he takes a really long walk, And has one child. He takes a really long walk. And has one child. He has two children actually. I guess in fairness. But. (laughs) Yeah. But he has. But unto that promise. Important distinction. (laughs) Under that distinction. He did not get to see. The promise. Of God play out in his life. In fact, God told him, "You're going to have your people are going to go into slavery for 400 years, and then they're going to wander around in the wilderness, and they're going to come over here, and this kind of thing." It's like a thousand years later, some good stuff is going to come from you. But the Bible commends Abraham not because he did the most awesome stuff, it's because he was a man of faith, because he was one who received and inherited the promises. You know, God is not calling us to imitate those who live in the land of success. He is calling us to imitate those who are gripped by His words. You think the thing that makes the fathers of faith unique and different when you read Hebrews 11 and the accounts of all these people, is that they were people who cherished his words. They were people who cherished his voice. There were people who would receive what he had to say. How many of you will sign up for the Jesus deal if he's going to give you a $10 million home tomorrow? Most people are down with that. That's not impressive. What's amazing are the people who will receive and cherish the words and the promises. God looks for people who will cherish His words before His words are realities. The people that I want to imitate, imitate are, not, are those that, that are compelled by the never-ending faithfulness of God. They aren't sustained by a result in life. They aren't sustained by an outcome. They're sustained by hope itself. There's no wavering of their hope to the very end. Are you with me? One of the people that I think is a great example of a promise inheritor is David. I want to read to you um, this verse in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I just want to keep painting this picture of what it means. What does it mean to be one who cherishes his promises, who cherishes his words, who is sustained by hope alone? If we are sustained by results in life, we will always live in a perpetual vacillation of doubt, discouragement, and disillusionment. You will have to cut the ties of your optimism or your hope being based on something that's going to, something right around the corner that's going to be awesome. The people who lived in the promise of God. For those who were unfazed, they were their faith, they, they, were, they, they experienced suffering, but their faith remained in the midst of perseverance, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hurt. So, David, I think, is an amazing example. And I think David gets sometimes too good a rap and sometimes too bad a rap. Um, he did a lot of bad things. But a lot of us are like, well, David just had a lot of awesome stuff happen in his life. But he had a whole whole long time of total hell. So we have to remember that about his life. And I want you to get, I'm going to read to you a verse from 2 Samuel. And I want you to think about Israel's history. So Israel's history starts with Abraham. Abraham receives a promise and they end up in slavery for all these years and then God sends them a deliverer in Moses who God he gives promise to Moses to deliver his people Moses is used by God takes they, they leads the people out of Egypt as they're in this wilderness God gives them this tabernacle I mean, remember the tabernacle and the, the tabernacle was the place where they were to meet God as they were doing the whole wandering thing now, their long-term goal, <laughs> their long-term goal, really long-term goal, was to get into land in the land of promise where God would rid them of their enemies and that they would have peace and they would dwell with, it, with the family of God and with the presence of God. And so they had this tent because if you're a nomadic people wandering around the wilderness, you can't have a church building like this. You've got to have a tent. So the, the tent was the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. That's where they met God. And so David goes through all this war and fighting, and people trying to kill him constantly on the run. God establishes him; he makes him king; he puts his favor on him, and and he finally gets to the place with no enemies. And I want you to hear the words of David, and just just go with me on this. Second Samuel seven one through two. Now it came to pass when the king David was dwelling in the house, and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies around him. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, That the king, sorry, there we go. That the king, this is David, said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tents, in tent curtains. So David is recognizing something. He's saying, I am in this permanent place, and we're not wandering anymore. There's no bad guys trying to kill and kill. But God's still in the tent tent thing. And look look at what Nathan the prophet says. I don't think this was prophetic by Nathan. This was just Nathan's thoughts. Sometimes you give people advice and then it's not good advice. It's just your thoughts. Nathan gives him some of his own thoughts. Nathan said to the king, Go and do all this in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But, it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? I want you to see this. Just note this. God doesn't give him a specific thing yet. He gives him a question. For I have not dwelt in the house since the time I have brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have been moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. "...wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any one of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore... "'Thus you shall say to my servant David, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts, "'I took you from the sheepfold "'from all the following the sheep "'to be ruler over my people and over Israel. "'And I have been with you wherever you have gone "'and have cut off all of your enemies before you "'and have made your great name "'like the name of great men who are on the earth. "'Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, "'and I will plant them "'that they may dwell in the house of the Lord "'in the place of their own and move no more.'" Okay, I could have read this entire chapter, but I wanted to stop there, that so you get the idea. So so David, all this stuff goes through, he's going through, he gets to a place, no enemies, and then there's an inquisition, there's a question in his own heart. Like I have this, this house, but God does not have a house. And so God goes on to give David, in this text, he goes on to give David the the promise or the exhortation that I'm going to actually build a permanent residence for my presence with your offspring. And who ends up building this temple? It's actually kind of a double prophecy because it happens if the prophecy goes to Jesus and it also goes to Solomon. Solomon, his son, builds the temple. But it's incredible to me that the promise of God It didn't just come as the form of like hitting David over the head. It came from the inquisition of David's heart. Like David's own question prompted a promise from God that will be remembered for all eternity. In fact, when Jesus returns, it says that this temple will be rebuilt. It will descend. Jerusalem will descend upon the earth. And so for God to do what he was wanting to do, he was waiting for a person who would inquire of who he was and what he was wanting to speak. God is looking for those who are willing to go on a journey to discover what's in his heart. God's not asking us to imitate Solomon. He's asking us to imitate David. David's the one who inherited the promise. Abraham's the one who inherited the promise. He's saying, look at the people who treasure my words. Be like them. It does not matter what kind of success, what kind of result, what kind of all of that. What matters is that you are one who treasures what is in my heart. Who values what I have to say. One thing that I think is universal about all of these people that inherit promises, whether it's Abraham, whether it's David, um, whether it's Moses, is that they all had this childlike willingness to go on a journey with God. None of them were perfect. All of them did horrible things. All of them experienced major setback. Their lives were not defined by their success. Their lives were defined by their pursuit of God, and their heart to know His voice, and their heart to steward His words. And so, like I, I have one encouragement for you this morning, and it's that that verse in Hebrews eleven is to be Hebrews six eleven is to be those. to to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God is looking for people and is always looking for people who are ready to cherish His words before His words are our realities. What kind of faith does it take for God to speak to a man and for the Bible to say him live in the promise and yet it's going to be a thousand years before something happens with that word? What kind of faith do you have to have to be that kind of person? I have like 10-year faith. My like, God, if I plow away at this for 10 years, I will see a crop that will that will produce. I I want I don't want 10-year faith, I want thousand generation faith. I want like words that are still bearing fruit long after I'm gone. And and God is looking for people. I promise you, He is looking for people. He's looking for people who are ready to receive and to value what He has to say, not just what He wants us to do. We get super focused on what does He want us to do and how is it going to work out and how is it going to make me look awesome. And He's looking for people who will value what He wants to say. That's why Jesus tells him in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servant, but I call you what? Friend. He's looking for people that he can sit down and talk about what's in his heart. And a few of these people have wandered around in humanity over the last thousands of years. How many of you have ever met somebody who they just, their hope and their trust in God is just like something otherworldly. How many of you have met these people? Very few of these people are like, tell you what, in ten years I'm going to have multiplied my uh, savings account quite a lot. That's not what they're focused on. The people with otherworldly faith are those that treasure His words, His, His voice above all else. I'm not not trying to say that, I, I mean, I'm trying to have, I'm trying to be good at what I do. I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to pastor well. I'm not saying you can't value those things. But I'm saying that we need to be sustained by hope itself, not something that's realized. We need to be sustained by the promises themselves, not just our ability to get to manifest them. Because that's what makes us friends. So, I don't really have a good ending. I started from the end. So, why don't I have you stand? Real, real easy to find what we need to pray for. Um, I just want us to close our eyes and to, for us to ask the Lord um, to make us those who value His Word to make us those who value His words above all else. When Jesus tells the disciples that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of of God, bread is the sign of the fruit of what God gives man to his labors. It's not just sustenance, it's also the fruit of labors. So when He says man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, He's saying this is more than your fruitfulness, this is you trusting my voice. And so I want us to stop and pray right now that, that we would stop living for bread and we would start living for His voice. That we would stop living for the result and we would live for the promise. God, I pray that You would make us people who are supernaturally anchored into, into another reality, into, another, into Your perspective. God, that You would make us those who who... We value, we live off of, we cherish, we treasure your words, your voice above all else. If you want to sit down and talk to us about things you're wanting to do generations beyond us, I pray that you would talk to us, God. God, I pray that we would be less worried about the results in our life and more concerned about being your friend. So let's just pray this prayer just in your own words however you want to pray it just God help me to treasure your voice my mind sitting here praying for this is um went to India a few years ago. Kevin actually came with me and we drove um, some stupid amount of hours to go meet these pastors that were up in the jungle. I mean we probably had like an hour meeting. And we had some different things along the way. But um, we met these pastors and they had lived in a highly persecuted area. Um, something like 40,000-50,000 Christians killed over a over a eight year period, and some of these pastors had friends who had been pulled apart by horses, like they they drugged their limbs apart. Some had had churches that were burned. Like these guys had, it hadn't happened to them, but they had been really, really close to the real deal. And we're still faithfully pastoring. And they were like wanting us to share something. And I was like, I don't have anything to share with you people. (laughs) I want you to pray for me. But I think that a lot of times, and the Bible celebrates this too. We celebrate the testimony of the breakthrough. Sometimes we don't celebrate the testimony of the unyielding faith in the midst of suffering. Like sometimes the greatest testimony is not that you got healed. The greatest testimony is that you still trust God. The greatest testimony is that those men who've seen people, their own friends killed, are still faithfully serving God. And so I feel like we need a reframing of what it means to be a people of faith. We have to be a people of faith who believe for the impossible, but also believe in impossible faith within us to endure anything. We have to look at our lives and go, well yeah, that didn't happen, but, but I still trust in God. How many of you have had something really hard happen, and you still trust in Him? Like that's an expression of faith. That's living on hope itself. That's living on his words over the reality. If every bit of our faith is equated to what's going to happen because we pray unto this result, we're going to have it's going to be hard because we're going to be we're going to be constantly disappointed. But if we could start celebrating the faith of Stephen to stand there at the end of his life and to testify to who God is, and to say father receive me into your presence like that's the faith god's looking for i think the lord a lot of this is you know god talking to jordan right now not not and so if i'm preaching it's bridging to me So Lord, I I don't know what to do right now. I just I pray that you would help us to, to find the value of your voice. To so not live off of bread, but to live off your words. God, to celebrate the enduring faith, God. To celebrate and to imitate those not who are awesome and successful, but who are completely possessed by Your promises and by Your words. I pray that we would seek it out. We would look for it. We would look to be nurtured by Your words. We would look to be nurtured by those who carry Your words. So God, I don't don't know anything else to say this morning other than give give us a new faith, God. Give us a new faith. Why don't we come to the table? corrupt